how come in 15 years of working with my medical doctor, they could not do this? Well, because they're working in a different system, their hands are tied, and they only know what they know. And that is a complete drug model. And that is not designed to get people healthy. That is just designed to manage symptoms. Welcome to The Healing Reset, a podcast where we aim to provide hope and true healing from chronic suffering by talking to experts on how to treat your whole body system, not just your individual symptoms. You guys, we really believe that our bodies are designed to heal. This is contrary to what your doctor may have told you. So I'm just your host. Today, we have on Dr. Tom and Dr. Steph Cheney. Together, they are a powerhouse of knowledge when it comes to the body and how it can heal from chronic illness. Our focus is type 2 diabetes today. Through their book titled Defeat Diabetes, 33 Effective Strategies to End Diabetes Before It Ends You, their outreach work, and their clinical practice, the two of them offer hope to those who have been told you can't reverse your type 2 diabetes or you'll be on a diabetic drug the rest of your life. Um, welcome to the show, you guys. We just really appreciate your time and having you on today. It's great Thanks to for be having here. us. <laughs> So you guys, most guests on this podcast, there was a defining moment that turned them from kind of conventional medicine to an integrative approach or a whole body approach. What was that defining moment for you? Well, for me, um, and you know, I've talked about this a lot, but for me, it was in childhood actually that set me on this path. So at the age of nine, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't move. Every joint in my body was swollen and on fire. And after a hospital visit and 12 vials of blood and head to toe x-rays, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and the approach at the time was just, let's just kind of see what happens. And uh, over the course of a few years, that got worse. And actually I developed a second autoimmune disease called psoriasis. So on top of torturous joint pain, I had torturous skin itching, and this was not looking to be a fun childhood. So at, at that point, they sent me to a rheumatologist and the rheumatologist did a full assessment and essentially told my mom sitting in the room with us that if this is the condition of her joints and this is how she's progressing, be prepared because by the time she's in her mid twenties, she'll have several joints replaced. And here's a prescription of prednisone to try to get the inflammation down. And we'll also prescribe some physical therapy. And I remember sitting in that room feeling insulted, afraid, angry, rebellious, every single emotion that you could have kind of flooded all at once. And we did fill that prescription. And I remember, I remember actually being in the kitchen with this big horse pill sized prednisone pill and looking at it. And I kind of, for a split of a split of a split of a second, which I call my God moment, I had absolute certainty on something I knew nothing about. And it was like, my body was not letting me swallow this pill. Um, I knew I had to find out what was causing this. And if I could find out what was causing this, I should be able to function normally. And so we had a family meeting and we left conventional medicine. <laughs> I've never really been back to traditional conventional medicine. We started working with a lot of different holistic providers. And I was able to um, get myself into a full and complete remission of rheumatoid and psoriasis. And so that set me on this path to being a holistic doctor. So I don't know anything else pretty much at this point. <laughs> it's just such a, that's, you were 12. You were a child, right? Yes. Diagnosed at nine and said no 
as a child, you knew that there was a bigger picture that your body was trying to tell you something, which is just really intuitive. Yeah. You know, I think at that point, when you're dealing with such heavy things as a child, you start asking heavy questions. You start putting things out to the universe that you otherwise probably wouldn't have had. So, you know, it was a very rough time for me, but looking back on it, and now I can say it was a blessing almost that it happened to me the way that it did because it set me on the path that I am now. So a lot of our practice, aside from diabetes reversal, is working with autoimmune remission uh, and the incurable diseases, if you will. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Dr. Tom? What is your your story leading to you two opening a practice together? Yeah, well, growing up, I was uh, lucky enough to be in a family that was very holistic and health-minded. So my parents, they didn't have a lot of medications. They had more supplements and nutrients. And we had a you know a garden in the backyard. We grew our own food. And my mom went to the chiropractor. And um, you know I just saw all these things. And I just thought that was normal. And then mm-hmm. I went to school. And I thought I liked sports. So I thought I wanted to get into sports medicine. And I uh, got my degree in kinesiology, and then I met a friend who introduced me into chiropractic, and I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. I could do all those things being a chiropractor. So I went to chiropractic school, opened my practice, and then I saw all these patients coming in, and I was looking at their intake form, and I was like, wow, you're on five medications. Wow, you're on seven medications. Wow, you're on, I mean, it was it was an everyday thing where just about every patient came in, they were on a lot of medications, and this became a normal occurrence in the practice where I saw patients on all these medications, no one's helping them actually handle the underlying root causes of these chronic diseases. So that's when, you know, I started getting more interested in integrated medicine, functional medicine, and just wanting to bring that into our practice. Have you guys ever looked back? Was there a moment in time where you thought this isn't the right direction? No, never. That's interesting because it definitely is a, it goes against the grain, right? Which is why we're doing this podcast to introduce a different way. Oh, we know that. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Like Dr. Tom said, we sort of came up that way. Uh, So I was even a little against the grain, even in chiropractic college, because, you know, here I am in a pathophysiology class being told by the professor um, when we're learning about psoriasis that it's incurable, it only gets worse. And I'm sitting there thinking, but I put myself into remission. That's not true. And so <laughs> I was being in, in a lot of professors. <laughs> I mean, just per your feedback earlier, it's just that growth in suffering, right? No one wants to suffer, but what you got out of that is something that propelled you guys to know that there's so much hope. It's a, often a painted picture. Diagnosis is how you'll live out your life. That's not always case. That should not be the case. The body knows how to function if the environment and the terrain is healthy. You are giving it what it needs and you're removing the things that cause problems. The body functions. It's it's an automatic thing that you should not have to think about. And it's an innate thing. And I think through, you know, what I've been through, it's an absolute faith in that machine. And so if something's not right, you have to just keep digging and digging and digging and be willing to do that instead of just taking a pill to cover things up. All right, listeners, let's just dive into this. But I want you to like sit in that statement. If you're out there 
right now listening to Dr. Steph and just remind yourself that there's hope and that our bodies are designed to heal. But I was studying some stats on the CDC and some crude estimates as of 2018 showed that type 2 diabetes, 34 million adults are living with it and 88 million adults had the pre-diabetic diagnosis. And again, we're looking at type 2, which takes up the lion's share of the diabetes category. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Most people with diabetes are type 2. Let's start by just defining and differentiating type 2 diabetes and then the pre-diabetic population. Sure. Well, according to the American Diabetic Association, they say that if you're 5.7 to 6.4%, that's the hemoglobin A1C. And that's a that's a three-month average of how well you're doing controlling your blood sugar. So listeners out there, you should stay on top of that number. You know, if you're getting your blood checked and you're getting your blood work back, make sure you're making, you're looking to see if your doctor's running that marker. So 5.7 to 6.4, that's when they say, you know, pre-diabetic above 6.4, that's in type 2 diabetic range. Now, these are percentages of damaged red blood cells. So if I'm 5.7% or less, that means 5.7% of my red blood cells or less are damaged. And that keeps me in the quote unquote normal. Yeah. And it's, it's not only blood sugar that can cause damage, but, but too much sugar in the blood causes a lot of stickiness. That is one of the main causes of hemoglobin A1C percentage being higher. There's lots of things that can damage hemoglobin, but in any given day, you're going to have damaged cells and the body is doing its best to clear those cells out. And so 5.7 or below is just the, is considered to be a healthy normal. Once you start getting into, you know, double digit, we, we've seen diabetics come in and double digit hemoglobin A1C ranges. You're now heading into, you know, danger zone um, as far as, as cell damage just in general. What does danger zone look like in patients? Is it varied or is it pretty? It's so varied. And this is the, the scary thing about something like diabetes or some other chronic illnesses, like I interviewed today a patient, new patient, and his hemoglobin A1C was 11.5% on insulin, on metformin. You ask him about his energy, his energy is good. He generally feels okay. Now, intermittently, sometimes he will get a little nerve tingling in his toes, but it's not constant enough to bother him. So generally he feels okay, but he's a stroke waiting to happen. I mean, he's a ticking time bomb from a cardiovascular perspective. And if you also look at the statistics, 50% of patients that have heart disease, their first actual symptom is a deadly heart attack. You know, you don't feel your arteries clogging. You don't feel your hemoglobin A1C going up. Some people will feel off when their sugars are high and some people will feel off when they're low, but most people, it's just such a slow insidious thing. They may not have a lot of obvious symptoms. Some people will, nerve pain headaches, insomnia, you know, bowel issues, skin problems, but the damage internally, they don't always feel the kidney damage. They don't always feel the liver damage. They don't always feel the cardiovascular damage. They don't always feel until it's, until it's too late. So I would say many listeners out there, myself included, know someone who's currently being managed They're They have type two diabetes and they're being managed. And I know that there is a medical model flow chart out there that shows conventionally what management should look like in the allopathic model. 
Do you guys mind going into detail about what that is? And then I want to talk about kind of where we go from there when it comes from an integrative perspective. Absolutely. So typically what happens, and this is what we hear day in and day out from patients, is the patient goes in and they may just go in for a routine checkup and the doctor runs their blood work and then they look at their their blood work and that's when they get their diagnosis. They're told that they're a diabetic and you know, no sooner than they're told they're a diabetic, they're getting handed a prescription. And prescription is usually for an oral pill like metformin. Metformin is typically the first one, but you know, I see patients coming in on Genuvia or glipizide or some of the other um, oral pills. And then they're told to change their diet, lose weight, exercise. That's the typical recommendation. And it's kind of left in the patient's hands to kind of figure all this out. So a lot of patients tell us that they, you know, they, they'll go out and they'll start reading or they'll get on the internet and try to figure this out. But what that usually does is causes a lot of confusion to them. <laughs> and they, um, they come into our office, you know, looking for help and trying to find the root causes. But if they continue down that path, then what it leads to, it leads to more and more pills. You know, usually blood pressure will go up. So they're put on a blood pressure medication. Cholesterol goes up. They're put on a cholesterol-lowering medication. If you, you know, run this journey long enough, like Dr. Steph said, to the patient that she sat with today, 11.4 on insulin, that's where you're going to end up is they're going to max out on the pills and then start prescribing insulin. And that's how you end up like many of our patients coming in and they're injecting not once a day, not twice a day, but many times, four times a day. But it is, it is literally a flow chart and it's a published flow chart of how to manage and prescribe accordingly. So the first, and and where's that published? Uh, That's in the ADA. I think the American Diabetes Association, you can go look it up. It's literally the treatment paradigm that they follow. So number one is metformin. And then if they come back and sugars and hemoglobin A1C are high again on metformin, then it's a second oral pill. And then it's a third oral pill. And the third oral pill will somehow balance out the other two. And that could be Genuvia, you know, there's a bunch of them now. And then if, if they're on three or more orals and their sugars are still high, then injectables. And it's literally a flow chart. So that's the standard of care. That's what's covered by insurance. That is what all medical people are told to follow. And that's what they follow. Have you guys ever seen that standard of care lead to reversal? No. We call it managing people to death. Managing people to death. Dr. Steph, I heard you say on, you guys have a show called Living Health Live. Um, The goal is not to manage diabetes, but to reverse it. The current system focuses on management, not reversal, which is what you guys just described. So you have someone coming in, they're saying at 11.9, did you say? A1C, 11.4 A1C. And they, uh, they're told by you that we can reverse this. Is that something you truly believe? And is that something you've seen? Yes. Thousands of patients. We've been able to get their hemoglobin down. We've been able to get them, their medications reduced or eliminated if we, you know, catch them early enough. Our goal is always to, if it's a good candidate for our program, to get their hemoglobin A1C to 6.0 or below on little to no medication. Um, And the goal is to also in our programs is to really teach people how to live the rest of their life. It's not to just throw some extreme diet at them that you can only be on short term. It's to literally teach them for that person with whatever's going on, you know, under their hood, in their body, 
to handle all their causes of elevated sugars and to get them to be able to actually stick with it and live with it for the rest of their life. So we have patients that follow up with us five years later, 10 years later, and they're on no medication and their hemoglobin A1C is normal and they are no longer diabetic. Is that what led you guys to write a book regarding this topic? Mm -hmm. Well, we want to get that. And um, there are some fundamental strategies that we do tell every patient. So we wanted to provide some clinical information that we've seen clinically work to patients that can, you know, if they can't come to us, they can at least get our book and they can read our book. They can implement these 33 strategies. They know that these strategies actually have been shown to be effective in our office clinically across the board. You know, that's one thing about our programs is they are tailored, individualized. We, We work very closely with our patients, but these strategies in the book, we sat down and we were like, okay, what are the things that, what are we telling each and every patient? And that's how the book came about. So you're going to have someone out there listening saying, nope, it's not for me. I'm too far gone. It's hopeless. My A1C is here. Is there some words of just like hope you can give that person saying, take this book, advocate for yourself with your traditional doctor. Hey, email us info at the healing find an integrative doctor. Do you guys see hope for the people who have lived with diabetes for so long that it's been a drawn out disease and they feel like oh, what they're saying does not apply to me? Yes, there's hope. We've had patients in their 90s that were on three oral medications. We had a patient who was 90 years old on multiple medications, had a colonoscopy bag because of a history of colon cancer and was still able to reverse his diabetes and get off his medications. So first of all, you're never too late to try to start living again. For me, whatever your age is, it's it's not about age. It's, it's about how much life your body still has in it. And, you know, even if someone was only able to get their sugars down from 400s to 200s or from 200s to 150, you just added life potential. You know, you may not get yourself to perfect, but anything that you do to improve is going to help. And doing is guaranteed to get worse. And one of the things I'll say too, is that you said belief and, and we actually just recently did a webinar and we talked about the five mistakes that are commonly made by type two diabetics. And that's really one of the mistakes that we see is the belief. If you believe that it's not reversible, you know, that's first and foremost, what you have to change. You have to change that belief and you have to start looking at people if you're surrounded by people that are sick and taking all these pills and they're not getting better, then you have to start looking elsewhere and looking for people that are actually achieving the results that you want. So you change that belief. Yeah. And I think this is the hurdle and this is the challenge, right? And this comes up a lot with patients at some point in their reversal process, something clicks in their head. And inevitably we have patients that say, I don't understand why my doctor with 10 years with my medical doctor, 15 years with my medical doctor, how come they didn't do this? Like it's, it's actually not that hard, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I don't understand how come in 15 years of working with my medical doctor, they could not do this. Well, because they're working in a different system, their hands are tied and they only know what they know. And that is a complete drug model. 
And that is not designed to get people healthy. That is just designed to manage symptoms. And inevitably, it contributes to the decline. Um, so if you have a doctor that you like and you trust and you've been in with that doctor for 20 years, if you could reverse diabetes, certainly they would have told you they would have wanted that for you. So how could you even believe that you could do it? They're just practicing what they were taught in school, you know, and that's the other thing that we hear from patients is, you know, I go see an endocrinologist. Aren't they the diabetic experts? And unfortunately, they're working in that same model with that same flow chart that we talked about. Yeah, it's just really interesting to me. And there is, it's just a system that people are caught up in. And you mentioned hands being tied. I think for education, hands being tied, there's a lot of variables that go into it. And one thing that I've heard a lot, and I think this is a big misconception that doctors have passed down to patients is you just need to lose weight or you just need to eat healthy without looking into what healthy is, um, which transitions us into what your strategies are. Now, I don't mean for you to go into all 33 of them. I think (laughs) someone who is really into this conversation right now needs to go on Amazon and buy that book. But where do you guys start? What does your treatment regimen look like? Well, here's what I'll say first is like (laughs) we start with an initial consult to make sure that the person is a good fit. And what I mean by that is, you know, our model is and our plan that we lay out for the patient is only as effective as it is compliant. So first and foremost, we have to make sure that they're super motivated to change their lifestyle because lifestyle changes are going to be included in the plan. And then once we establish that, that they're, yes, I'm gung-ho, I'm wholly motivated. You just tell me what to do. I'm ready to do it. Then we go on to some comprehensive functional tests to actually look for all the root causes in their body. And then we start to individualize that plan for them. Right. So we're looking for possible infections, infestations, overgrowths of yeast, bacteria, parasites, whatever, things that can cause underlying chronic inflammation, food intolerances and allergies, hormone imbalances. So, you know, we'll do saliva testing, urine testing, uh, some serum testing in the beginning. And we work in programs. So, you know, a lot of providers, both holistic and conventional, they might do some preliminary testing and then send a patient off for three to six months with some ideas for things to implement. And the, the problem is the patient's just kind of out on their own still. And there's there's no troubleshooting, there's no guidance. And you know, when you're working with a diabetic who's on a lot of medications, we've got to monitor people for sugar drops because sugars will come down. And when sugars come down, medications need to be adjusted. Blood pressure comes down, blood pressure medications need to be adjusted. So Our approach is much more intensive. We are very hands-on with patients, especially in the beginning. And so it's going to be changing their their food and their, I hate to say diet, but that word is such a trigger word for people, but their food plan. You know, what is the right food plan for that person? What is the right supplement protocol? And then based on the testing, we're able to figure out what foods they should take out. Do we have to work on yeast? Do we have to work on other things? So it guides us in terms of our supplement protocols. Yes, all the bases will be there. Everybody, you know, needs to cut out sugar, (laughs) right? I mean, but we have people come to see us and they've done those things. They've made diet changes. They've lost weight because they were told to lose weight. They started exercising. They lost 50 pounds and their diabetes got worse. And then they're coming to us thinking, wait, something didn't drive here. For me personally, as a provider, I almost, it's the last thing I want to look at is weight. If I get everything else right, the weight will come off. Some people, genetically, they will have their diabetes reversed 
and maybe lose five or 10 pounds. I cannot get caught up in the weight. I have to be caught up in getting the sugars down. And so we are addressing all aspects of life, exercise, sleep, bowel movements, and troubleshooting things accordingly. And those things are touched on in our book, you know, clean water, what you drink, what you eat. We, we follow something that we call Dr. Steph's plate rule as just a basic visual guideline for how to eat. So you're not calorie counting and weighing your food and there's no starvation diet. People should not be hungry in our program. And so the basics for sure are in our book and they just get tweaked and individualized for people when they're working in a program with us. What's really interesting with that comment you made about root cause is it's not just looking at your blood. Oftentimes chronic inflammation is the core of so many of these illnesses that if you can figure out where that's at, you can start to get some resolve. Yeah. I mean, conventionally, most of our patients are getting maybe a quarter of a page of blood work done every three to six months, which is really just the markers they're medicating you for. And maybe looking for complications from those yeah, medications. Yeah, like kidney and liver enzymes right. to make sure, you know, either the diabetes isn't killing your liver or your kidney or the medications you're taking. So we're we're that. taking a deep dive and looking at each person individually and then and then customizing that plan. So someone's out there right now, diabetic, being managed on two to three medications. They're listening to this. They live in Kansas City. We need to advocate for ourselves at our current practitioner, maybe find an integrative practitioner as we spoke of, but is there a single thing that they can do right now to change that you guys just see as a through and through, stop this, start this level? Yes. So I would say stop all sodas and juices, even if they're organic or diet. Fresh pressed? All of the fr- no fruit juice. It's too much sugar. And then go to our website and on our blog, I'm sure you can find Dr. Steph's play rule. And that's how you start eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'll link your website in our show notes as well. So fruit juice is a huge spike instant. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, diet products, they contribute to obesity. They contribute to diabetes. You're more significantly at a higher risk for diabetes if you're consuming diet products because it keeps you addicted to sweet stuff. And they're chemicals that are very, very damaging to the liver, the brain, the gut, and they end up causing a lot of underlying inflammation. So, you know, we see a lot of people that that switch to diet products and they drink, you know, diet Coke, diet Dr. Pepper, diet iced tea, crystal light, you know, all the squeezable stuff. And, um, you know, if we just cut all that stuff out, you can still sweeten with stevia and monk fruit. And, you know, there are some good natural sweeteners out there that you can use that are, that will not spike blood sugars. The liquid beverages with the sugar, those are awful. There, it's you might as well be like hooking up an IV of sugar. Is that due to the absorption rate? It, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a huge quick because it's the you know if you're eating an apple, you're having to process the fiber. There's different kinds of sugars in there. It's a fresh fruit with enzymes. It takes a while to break down. Um, if you're drinking apple juice, you're getting probably you know, anywhere from five to 10 apples worth of sugar, you know, it's pasteurized, all the vitality has been cooked out of it. And you end up with just pure sugar, even if it's an unsweetened apple juice, it's going to be laden with sugar. Another, um, I'm just thinking about cranberry juice is probably the worst. (laughs) And then we have, and that made me think of patients um, 
one of my patients was making this mistake. They were eating dried fruit and they were eating a lot of it. You know, dried fruit just has a ton of sugar on it. But she was just thinking, oh, it's fruit. It should be fine. And it just was just yeah, causing these spikes. Craisins. They like to put that in their salad. But it's like I tell them it's like eating jelly beans because you can't eat a cranberry by itself. It is so sour. So if a craisin is (laughs) is edible, they've added so much sugar to that dried little fruit that you're just throwing jelly beans all over your salad, (laughs) you know. I love, you know, every podcast, I take something away. And this this one, it's been deeper than just craisin level, but I've never <laughs> thought about the sourness to the transition of the dried fruit sweetness. So thank you for that. Well, and the other thing with dried fruit too, because that's another good thing to cut out. We find that when sugar logs start going up and we dig a little bit, people are starting to snack on dried fruit. You know, the little, remember the little raisin boxes that we grew up with? So a serving of grapes, as far as keeping sugar stable, is around 10 grapes. That's a serving. Well, those little raisins, those little sun-kissed raisin boxes have a good 50, 50 raisins in there. So they, the water is out, the, the fruit is shrunken, but all the sugar is still there. So you're eating five or 10 servings of sugar that you wouldn't otherwise eat if you had a handful of grapes. So the dried is a nice concentrated way to get get your sugars up. All right, guys, listeners out there. So take this bit away (laughs) or pass this episode on to someone you know who is pre-diabetic or diabetic. These are two things that they can start today. Just saying pre-diabetic reminded me of one thing that I heard you guys say was when someone gets the diagnosis of pre-diabetes, it is a wait and see game in our allopathic model right now. And so I also want listeners out there to start thinking through what that means of wait and see. And intuitively, is that, you know, the direction we should be going with our bodies? Our bodies are starting to alarm us. Hey, something, something is wrong, right? They're setting off fire alarms. And so would you guys have any advice to that pre-diabetic phase? Well, I would say if you get a diagnosis of pre-diabetes or if you're suspecting it, you have to basically think that you're a diabetic. Dr. Tom has always said in our live webinars that, being pre-diabetic is like being kind of sort of pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Yeah. You know? And so it can change in a dime. If you start doing and acting like you're a diabetic, then you will handle your pre-diabetes before it completely damages your body. Patients are surprised to find out that I eat very similarly. Like we eat the plate roll and these are the things that help save me. And so sometimes when I'm talking to a patient in a consult, I'm relating something in a personal sense. And they're like, Dr. Steph, are you, are you a diabetic? I'm like, no, I'm not a diabetic. That's why I eat like a diabetic. So I'll never get diabetes. <laughs> you know? So pre-diabetes, that is not like a safe haven cushion, like buying you time. If you get that diagnosis, just act like you have diabetes and get on it. Good to know. Now, usually people have a patient in mind of like, this is the success story that I will forever remember. Do you guys have one of those? Someone that comes in diabetes, a their A1C is really high and they were motivated. They maybe didn't have hope at first, but saw hope through people around them or through you guys or through momentum of health. Do you have someone that sticks out? Yeah, absolutely. I have um, a patient that I'm thinking of and her name's Teresa and she came to see us and 
when she came to see us, exactly, that's exactly where she was. She had lost hope because she had gone to everyone she was told to go to. So she had a primary care. She ended up going to an endocrinologist, getting referred. She ended up on insulin. Doctor kept telling her to lose weight. She went to weight loss clinic, and she just didn't see any results. And so by the time she got into our office, she was on a whole list of medications. She was on insulin, and she said, "You know what? I don't think this is going to work, but..." I have nothing to lose because I've tried all these other things. So let me just give it a shot. And um, so we got her started and um, she. Probably like two months in, she was off insulin and off two of three of her orals. She'd lost 50 pounds. And again, we weren't pushing for the weight loss, but it just sort of comes off naturally. I don't even think she was exercising at that point. No, like you will lose weight without exercising. And of course, we're not promoting not exercising. But do you know, there's there's people out there that actually over-exercise and it knocks their sugars up. So there is such a thing as exercise-induced sugar elevation. So, but yeah, she she we got her down to normal and no longer diabetic, lost a bunch of weight and was able to actually get her cholesterol normalized and come off that medication and blood pressure also. And that was in, in, you know, two to three months, she was completely clear. And basically what she said, her quote was, I got my life back. And that's mm-hmm. really what we see is like, we're talking about all these numbers, but you really don't see how it's impacting them in their day-to-day life. And that's what motivates us. Yeah. That's one thing we didn't touch on. It could be assumed through the conversation, but people are coming to you on a handful of medications. And since you're following them closely, you are titrating them off, you're bringing them off one by one as their body comes into balance. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for just providing (laughs) hope for this condition that is hopeless in so many people's hearts. So I always like to end the show, just looking in general, what are three things someone can implement today in their life uh, for better health? It doesn't need to be related to diabetes, just what are three things off the top of your head someone should start? Yeah, I'll start. So first thing is no diet products. So if it says diet light, anything with no sugar added, I would just get it out because it probably has a bunch of chemicals, artificial sweeteners, and is going to affect your health in a negative way. And then for me, if you can get your hands on our plate roll, as far as just how to visualize breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if you can generally eat to, to that, that is a huge handle for a lot of people. And then uh, number else? three, I think most of our patients coming in are deficient in vitamin D. Yeah. So just get vitamin D in your supplement regimen and start taking that on a regular basis. And most people think, well, I'm out in the sun. I must be getting enough there. You know, when we run it, we run it on all of our patients. And I'd say at least 80% are deficient. Yeah. And that, you know, vitamin D is needed for brain function, bone density. It's needed for insulin receptor sensitivity. So all our diabetics out there that are deficient, they need, they, everybody needs vitamin D. And then of course this year for immunity and, you know, support against viruses and, and, you know, infections, you need to have optimized vitamin D for that. So that's a simple supplement that anyone can get anywhere. All right, guys, where can our people find you? You've mentioned blogs. We'll link some websites in our show notes, but where do they have access to Dr. Tom and Steph Cheney? Yeah, so go to mylivinghealth.com. That's our practice website. There you can find our blog. You can find our podcast. YouTube, we're on YouTube as well. So we've got all of our uh, all of our webinars up there um, on YouTube, on Anchor, or if you go to 
iTunes. We've got our podcast there and then Living Health Market. That's where all of our supplements are. And if you're, you know, we're in the state of Maryland, if you're out of state and you get our book and you try to implement some things and you're still feeling overwhelmed or you just, you just need to get a little bit more of a, you know, a support system. We do see patients virtually from pretty much almost all over the country. And so we've actually been able to reach people, you know, that otherwise couldn't be here. And we're helping people all over the country now. I love that. All right. Well, thank you for being on the Healing Reset. And to our listeners out there, we're just trying to contradict the narrative that you are destined to become your diagnosis. That is not what we're doing here. We're recognizing the root cause and we're healing your body as a whole. Thanks for listening. And until next time.